Brian, here we go on a Sunday morning in Las Vegas. It is just after 8 o'clock. I'm Brian Feldman, and this is Out of Line. We are here live, same time, every Sunday on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. We are coming to you live from the Wisden, also known as Spencer Studio in Las Vegas. We are here because we've been booted from the Fox Sports Residential Bancorp Studio until further notice due to COVID protocol. Joining me on the show is social media director Spencer the Wiz Ostrovsky. Nobody beats the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. That's right. The Wiz has his say own. COVID protocol. Pro- I, now I'm saying yeah, it. There you go. You screwed it up for me. I just had to say that. It's so funny. Well, the Wiz, of course, the only person in the world that went from intern to social media director to having his own theme music, and that's right, he does. Uh, also joining us and social distancing back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio uh, produce, uh, is Chris Magnum Chapman, who, aside from producing this show, produces a number of shows at Lotus Broadcasting, and he's the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights Radio Network and the home pre-pregame show host for UNLV football on our sister station, ESPN The Leader. This show is also streaming on the LV Sports Network, and you can watch the show on Facebook Live and YouTube. The page is called Out of Line. That's O-U-T-T-A-L-I-N-E. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Out of Line Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio line is 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. I don't know why we have Bubby doing the What's on Tap. It's been forever. I love Brad, an MSU alum, but uh, hey, for right now, that's good. But What's on Tap is brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you currently own, Residential Bank Corp is the company to turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time, and now offering $2,500 free to everyone and anyone who qualifies for a home purchase loan in the state of Nevada, call 702-964-5720. On tap, the Vegas Golden Knights lost to the Edmonton Oilers yesterday, but have won 13 of their last 16 games after starting 1-4 and four and are really starting to get healthy. We'll talk about that. The UNLV football team ended their season on Friday night, and out of line, former co-host, UNLV's color commentator Caleb Herring, will be joining to give us his take on the Rebels' second season under Marcus Arroyo. And on the agenda, the running Rebels lost to number two UCLA at the Thomas and Mack yesterday and are now seven games into their season. Are they better or worse than what was expected? We'll give you our take. The 2021 college football season is winding down, and yesterday was rivalry Saturday, and one of the biggest programs in the country finally got the monkey, or should I say the Buckeye, off their backs. We'll talk about that. And Week 12 in the NFL started with another expected loss for the Detroit Lions and a big unexpected road win for the Las Vegas Raiders. That's what's on tap if you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own. Choose a company you can trust, Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time. Right now, Residential Bank Corp is offering Nevada home buyers $2,500 towards closing costs for anyone and everyone who qualifies for any home purchase financing program in the state of Nevada. Call 702-964-5720 for further details. Spence, what's going on, man? What a week in Vegas for basketball. What a weekend for sports. Rivalry weekend, man. 
this aside from like the NCAA tournament or the NFL playoffs of, of, uh, leading to the Super Bowl is my favorite sports weekend of the year, Thanksgiving weekend. It's just really cool. Oh, it, it was truly incredible. And, and Vegas really is kind of becoming this great sports town as well. Never thought I'd see the day, but, you know, we have a lot of basketball here. I think it's only going to become more because here's the thing, right? When you're done with these events and they happen either in the afternoon or in the evening, when you're done, you get to go to the strip and nobody in the country can provide that kind of experience like us. But obviously there's also Thanksgiving football, which is always amazing. Well, you know what's pretty cool, Spencer, is I can say, I never left Las Vegas, and I attended the Maui Invitational this past week. How? Well, it was here in Vegas. So, I mean, they can't play in Maui, so the next best place they could play anywhere else in the continental U.S., and they choose Las Vegas as their venue. So many big venues here. You had Gonzaga play UCLA, number one, ranked number two. Friday, you had Duke play Gonzaga. That was number five, ranked number two. Things will switch around since Duke won that game in kind of convincing fashion shocking when i thought gonzaga was head and shoulders above everyone else after seeing them play number two we'll talk about all that in a little bit but first the way we start every show man with uh the vegas golden knights hockey players as you know are warriors they don't give up they come to play every game it's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Theodore closing on him, but that's going to do it. And the Edmonton Oilers hang on for the 3-2 win. Yeah, um, Edmonton Oilers hung on for the 3-2 win. Uh, they actually started out and scored the first three goals of the game, two in the first, one in the second, and it looked like it was going to be a long night for the Vegas Golden Knights, no pun intended, but um, Edmonton's goalie played tremendously well, and in the first period, uh, the Knights were all over them, and they couldn't put the puck in the net, and... Um, Two turnovers caused uh, the 2 nothing lead at the end of the first. To get Knights gave the puck away twice, and both of them led to scoring chances. Uh, the last one, like 15 or so seconds to go in the first period, which kind of sucked to see that goal go in. But the bottom line is, aside from that game, they are playing really well. They've won 13 of their last 16 games, and, uh, you know, they're getting healthy, Spencer. Uh, Mags, I know you're back there in the studio. Chris, it's nice to see the production line of Max Pacioretty, Mark Stone, and Chandler Stevenson playing together again. I think, uh, man, we've all been waiting for that in Las Vegas, and it pays dividends, right? Yeah, I mean, you get Mark Stone back, and obviously he he's a, a major contributor to this team, but uh, bringing Max Pacioretty back a couple nights ago, and then you, I mean, I'm going to, also mentioned that Jonathan Marshall played his first game uh, in about two weeks last night as well. Of course, he was in COVID protocol for uh, the last 10 days or so. But uh, Chandler Stevenson really has been the guy, I think, that's kind of carried this team through the absence of Stone and Pacioretty. And he's having a career season. I mean, you look at his, I think he had 34 points total last year in 56 games. So he was clearly well on his way last year to having maybe a 40-point season, 45-point season. Uh, this year, he's almost a point-of-game guy, which is is pretty fascinating when you consider the fact that both Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty have missed significant time with this team. I don't know what you do, where you go when you bring Jack Eichel into the mix because I think Chandler Stevenson has proven that he he absolutely deserves a shot to continue to play on, as you call it, the production line with Mark Stone and, and Max Pacioretty. But I also wonder 
just how much better that line with with Stone and Pacioretty could be with Jack Eichel in the mix. I, I mean, it's it's one of those dilemmas where it's got to be good to be Pete DeBoer to have to have that dilemma to make. Like, hey, wait a minute, I've got this center who's almost a point a guy, a point of game guy right now this season, but I also have one of the most elite players on the planet. I mean, I think you would you would automatically say, oh well, well, I'm just going to put plug in Eichel. I don't know if it's that simple because I think Chandler Stevenson has a real connection with those guys. And I mean, look, we're, I know we're, we're a couple months down the road, but if you want to talk about the player that represents the Golden Knights at the All-Star game, I think right now, six weeks, seven weeks into the season, it's Chandler Stevenson. He's been, if not their best player, certainly their second best player. And I, I think it's, 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 it's not a that I would have expected when the season started to say, hey, Chandler Stevenson has been one of the two or three guys that have really carried this Golden Knights team. But, man, he is having a phenomenal season. He scored again last night. Brian, I mean, I mean, this is a guy, and, and look, there, 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 there are some moves that fans could look at George McPhee and, and, and Kelly McCrimmon and not be happy about. The fact that they stole Chandler Stevenson from the Washington Capitals that's got to go down as one of the best moves that this team has made. When you look at his contract, he's basically he he he's not making a ton of money. He's not a huge hit against the cap, but he has been he I mean, he's a guy who certainly has outplayed his contract and I think the Golden Knights are looking and saying, "Hey, you know what? We got ourselves a really really good deal with Chandler Stevenson because he has earned every bit of what he's making plus probably double the way he's played this season." Uh, no, no doubt, uh, Mags. He is going to be when uh, it comes time to talk about Chandler Stevens' contract. I hope the Golden Knights bring it up before the time comes and do something positive because you are right. We saw really the morphosis into a better player last season, and this season he's carried it on. And I agree with you when you say the best or the second best. And if you're saying the second best player and you're not talking Robin Leonard as the first best player because he has been exceptional between the pipes this year for the Golden nights in spite of their slow start you've got to also talk about a guy named riley smith you know i wondered whether or not chris when they handed out the ace why riley got one because as you know being in the locker riley smith is not the most vocal guy is not the most talkative guy but when you talk about leading by example he would be the most exemplary exemplary person for something a statement like that that i know this guy hustles and plays every game he is hardly ever misses because of injury he seems to always find a way to be healthy he takes a lot of abuse out there for not being a physical player, but no matter what, he finds a way to be productive, to either put the puck in the net or make the per- perfect pass, and that shows his production. You talk about a point-of-game point, point of game guy. Riley Smith is not off that either. 15 points now, nine goals already on the season. He also got one last night, a la, and thanks to Jonathan Marks on a great setup, but Riley Smith is another guy that really is one of the staples of this Golden Knights team, and you have a really good point when you talk about when Jack Eichel does return or does make his presence for the Vegas Golden Knights once he recovers from the surgery. Um, yeah, it's going to be a bit of a problem. Chandler Stevenson, I agree with you, Chris, has earned the right to compete for the number one center between Pacioretty and Stone. And then you look at the second line. What do you do there with Marcheseau, Smith, and when when William Carlson comes back, which won't be that far in the future, now what do you do? Move Jack Eichel down to the third line center? I mean, that is ridiculous. And you got other. 
people like Nicholas Waugh that might say, wait a minute, man, I've been playing really good too. I mean, it's pretty incredible how this team has come together. And now we've got a problem of how are we going to keep players from being scratched once this team is completely healthy and not long before we'll have Alec Martinez and William Carlson back in the lineup. And uh, again, at the turn of the year, you know, sometime in 2022, getting Jack Eichel, um, Chris, I got to believe the ceiling for this team really without just saying that being any kind of a homer, it's got to be the Stanley cup, right? Well, I think obviously that's, that's the goal. When, when you go out and you trade for Jack Eichel, knowing that when he is fully healthy, hopefully the early part of February, if not right after the All-Star slash Olympic break, you you know when you acquire him that there are going to have to be pieces that are, are not part of what you plan on doing once you make the playoffs. I mean, hopefully you're, you're able to stay where you're at and string a, a couple wins together right before Christmas and you put yourself in, in prime position to now qualify for the playoffs when you get William Carlson, when you get Alec Martinez back. Uh, I mean, it's really fascinating. I think when you mentioned Riley Smith, getting to know Riley over the last five seasons, it's not a shock to me that he's a guy who wears the A. I mean, when this team was going through captains, I think the obvious choice was always going to be Mark Stone. But to me, Riley Smith was that guy who was also in the discussion. He, he's a, he, you know, there, there's there's that that quiet leadership thing. And Riley Smith, I don't think is quiet. I think he's quiet with the media, but I get the vibe talking to other players when they talk about Riley that Riley is is a, a, a bit of a different guy in the locker room than he is when he talks to us. His hockey IQ is off the charts, Brian. I mean, he he just always knows where to be on the ice. You rarely see him make a bad play. You rarely see him take a bad angle. He 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 plays two hundred feet. I mean, he is the type of guy who you're not going to build your franchise around, but he's the kind of guy where if you have him on your team and you have him in your locker room, your team is far better with him than they are without him. That being said, his contract is up at the end of the season. The Golden Knights are going to have to trim some salary. You know, I was talking to Alan Snell last night, and I said to Alan, I said, you know, Riley Smith is your leading goal scorer right now. I don't know if that continues and you get to the trade deadline, how you move your leading goal scorer. But I believe the New York Rangers actually did that back in 94 when they won the cup. They had a guy named Mike Gartner on the team who was one of the all-time great goal scorers in the history of the NHL. Unfortunately, Mike never won the cup. The Rangers traded him about two weeks before the start of the playoffs, and they picked up a couple players that helped them win the Stanley Cup. Mike Gartner... Unfortunately, his name did not go on the Stanley Cup that year, despite everything he did for that New York Rangers team. I hope, because I really like Riley as a guy, I really like Riley to talk to, I like him as a player, I hope that that's not the same fortune that, that is in, in in the future for Riley Smith, because I think as a, as a fan of the game and as a guy who's been around this team for five years, that would hurt me as as. Uh, uh, just a fan of the game because Riley Smith is one of those guys that I think deserves to have that chance. 
No, I agree with you 100. percent And yeah, that was tragic. I remember Mike Gardner getting moved, and what a what a shame, you know. So when you see something like that in sports, a guy that is a lifer that's been around for a long time, and you've got a team that's heading to the postseason and they dump him, uh, that's that's the nature of sport, and that really is the nature of professional sport. And Riley Smith could very well be gone. I was one that thought, you know, Chris, as you well know, I said well before um, Mark Andre Fleury was gone and Ryan Reeves were gone that they were gone after the postseason last year. I also thought Jonathan March still because of his contract would be gone. Boy, am I happy. That was the one player I was wrong about. And I, I got the same feeling, Chris. I got a bad gut feeling that almost no matter what Riley Smith does this year, he's going to command too much money for them to fit him, and he won't be a Golden Knight next year. But hey, stranger things have happened. Uh, we'll end it on this note. The night, the night's now two games on the road. You really can't call it a major road trip as they're going to Anaheim and to Phoenix. But um, after taking a loss the way they did last night, I don't think it's one you hang your head on, Chris. They scored the final two goals in the game. They put a lot of pressure on. They couldn't get one at the end of the game when they cleared their net. But they gave up three goals early. And really, you know, I mean, it was the play of Koskinen. I mean, the guy played out of his mind, especially in the first two periods. The Knights were all over him, and you're not going to find a hot goaltender like that every night. I think the Golden Knights go on this road trip, and as good as the Ducks play, I think they win both games. Well, yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned last night because I think, I think quite honestly, I think the, the team is happy with, with the game they play. Look, they they Edmonton had a couple power plays. Edmonton's power play is at 39%. Think about that. They're scoring a goal one out of every three times they're on the power play, which is absolutely mind-blowing. They didn't score a power play goal last night. They kept Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl off the score sheet. Connor McDavid had scored, I think, in every single game this season except one going into last night. And if he's not scoring, Leon Dreisaitl scoring for them. I'll be honest with you. We we talked about it a couple weeks ago on, on another show that I'm on, and I said Edmonton was a lock to make the playoffs because I think that they've got those two guys. But I also think that they've got a really underrated player in Jesse Pugliarvi who scored for them last night. He was very noticeable in that game. But I'm going to focus on the Golden Knights, the positives. Look, they held those two guys off the score sheet. Um, you know, I think the three goals that they gave up, you, you, you go back and look at them. One of them was was a cheapy where Mark Stone basically turned the puck over at center ice and and uh, Ryan Nugent, I think it was Ryan Nugent Hopkins, had, had just came in. I mean, there's no way Mark Stone's going to make up the ground to, to, to prevent him from scoring there. Uh, one of them was was just a breakaway where Pooley Arvey was was essentially all alone behind the defense. I mean, there were some cheapies at the Edmonton Oilers score, but that's what they're really good at because when you have guys like McDavid and Dreisaitl, it kind of forces your defensemen up the ice a little bit, and they get caught. And... That's something that they'll have to correct the next time they play these guys. But they're 0-2 against Edmonton this season. And Edmonton was missing some players last night. Of course, Darnell Nurse, maybe their best defenseman, was out. Um, Mike Smith, who who is their number one goalie, he has been out for a while. And Miko Koskinen has kind of carried the load for them. And, and Miko maybe the, the number one guy when, when they get back. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there were some positives last night. Look, you lost the game. You don't want to lose, but as you mentioned, 13-3 and in your last 16, two games against teams that I think the Golden Knights should beat, and next week when they play Calgary, that's another big game. Can't look too far ahead, but next Sunday at the Fortress, Calgary Flames come in, and that's a team that the Golden Knights may have to contend with with the way things are shaking out in the Pacific Division right now. 
No doubt Calgary, one of the better teams in their division. Uh, I like what I'm seeing from the Golden Knights, and I do mean that sincerely. The ceiling, you know, you always say the goal, of course, is the Stanley Cup, to win the Stanley Cup. But then the reality, well, reality is when the Vegas Golden Knights are healthy and they have every player in this roster available to them, they are as good and as talented as any team across the board in the National Hockey League. A lot of fun to watch. One of the most exciting teams and they have since they won um i really think key is going to be hey hopefully that injury bug bit them in the ass so badly early is something they overcome you don't have a lot of covid issues down the road they stay healthy uh the, the sky's the limit i'm excited to see what they do listen let's fly into the next segment uh joining us now on the fox sports uh, residential bank corp studio line and on Streamyard is our former co-host hopefully we'll get him back here one day again um and he is the color commentator on espn the leader our sister station for unlv football and uh he is back in town and not going to be traveling for a little while because of the season is over what's up caleb what's up man yeah you, you I, i'd love to come back but i don't think you can cut me a check big enough to pull me back man I, yeah, that's, now, that's the only problem well i you never know the way things are going you might you might find a sixth year of eligibility and be back on the field for unlv next year i mean because one of the things that we'll talk about and we'll we'll, we'll talk about it in one second is the quarterback situation at unlv what it is going to look like in 2022 i think we all have a little idea but wonder if marcus arroyo has something up his sleeve and how apropos speaking of marcus arroyo 48 14 loss to end the season uh they lose on back-to-back games but they did play well against san diego state on senior night and of course they did win back-to-back games this season when people were concerned they wouldn't win any um i'm gonna be there i'm right with chris says it all the time i'm with him on this you got to give him a pass on last season it was a covid one of the most strangest seasons of all of our lives the years of all of our lives but uh this season is a different story what have you seen and and please caleb don't be a homer here what have you seen this year with this unlv football team are they headed in the right direction or are you scratching your head and be honest with me? No, this is not from a Homer. And I try not to have, uh, I'm an optimistic person in general, so it's not about being a Homer, but, uh, the, uh, the, the idea that I can't tell the truth about it because I, it's my alma mater and all this stuff is, is I think a, a little bit of a reach, but I just honestly watching this team this year. And I think if anybody's being honest about it and not being pessimistic about it, um, you say that what we saw on the field every game, minus three games, we'll say the Air Force game, Reno and Iowa State, um, every other game that the Rebels played in, they looked like a good team. And that's uh, that's honestly like a mountain a good Mountain West team that can compete in the Mountain West. Um, and they looked better, especially on the defensive side of the ball, than we've seen probably in the last decade with what they were able to do defensively at times during the season. Um, and then they also actually did some pretty good things offensively as well with considering how many injuries they had all throughout the season. Um, but I, I do think that Marcus Arroyo is doing the right thing and has a program trending in the right direction. It's not uh, it's not easy to overcome some of the things that um, he overcame in the first season. Um, and then the injury bug that kind of went through the team that we're seeing how how amazing it is for the Golden Knights, like you guys have been talking about, to be overcoming the type of injuries they've had to their roster. You wouldn't have expected that. And I think this season with UNLV, the injuries at key positions and the inconsistency at key positions due to injury, um, I think maybe the Rebels finished with four or five wins. And you think about a team that, yes, two and ten looks terrible in the final, the final win-loss column, but 
six losses were one possession games. Um, and the fact that they competed with uh, three top 25 schools and a UTSA team that just had their first loss of the season in week 12. So they were in the top 25 as well to finish things off. So the fact that the Rebels competed most of the season, and like I said, outside of those three games, um, they were in every game of the year. So um, I, I'm not going to say they're they're bad. I'm not going to say that uh, that it's time to push the red red button on on Arroyo. I think they're trending in the right direction, and that's sometimes what you have to look at when you're when you're trying to build a program up and trying to change the culture. I guess, and I guess evidence in college football. You look at Jim Harbaugh and how many times, how many off seasons uh, were Michigan fans and national audiences calling for Jim Harbaugh to be fired, and you know Michigan stuck with it for whatever reason. They saw something that was not necessarily wins and losses that were that were positive. They saw the right things um, off the field or, or in practice or in the way they competed that led them to keep Jim Harbaugh around. And I think it's paid off pretty good. I think Michigan may be on their way to their first college football playoff because of that consistency, because they stuck with it, because they did enough right during Harbaugh's tenure, and they finally figured it out in the end. And I think that's kind of the infant stages of where UNLV is, where you see some good things and you, you understand that, the program is building towards winning games, but the wins and losses just aren't adding up to that right now. And it takes time. It takes uh, takes some years of work to do that. And I think once you get guys like Jacoby Winman and Noel Williams as seniors, and then you look at what that team's going to look like. I mean, the amount of freshmen that made plays on defense, the amount of freshmen that were in on offense um, that were making plays. Uh, when you think about that and you think about three years down the road, you say they're in a good spot as far as building this program up. Well, I will say this. I'll say infancy. If you're talking about infancy, I would say they're still at conception, not quite infancy yet. I would say the beginning of maybe something. I'll give you that. Marcus Arroyo, I'm not going to sit and rip on the coaching, what he's done, because, again, I don't think we've had enough of a sample size. I will say I don't like the way he's handled the media. I think he has showed immaturity as a person and as a coach. I don't think as a media member, I, I'm not going to go on and on about this. I don't think you ever block a member of the media on Twitter because you're not supposed to be paying attention. And all you do is now admit that you're paying attention. That's all behind us. Again, I, hopefully that changes over time. And Marcus Arroyo warms himself a little bit up to the media. I see uh, Paloma Villacana when he does Rebel Extra with her. He looks disinterested and like he doesn't even want to be there. Um, I've, I've heard the, the coaches show a couple of times on the radio. I mean, he seems like he's more into that, but I would just like him to see embrace that, that part of the job a little bit more because it is part of the job. That's not the job of coaching. As far as that job goes, Caleb, I'm not going to disagree. I saw a better UNLV product this season than I've seen the past couple for sure. However, that being said, um, I still think that the reason they only have two wins and maybe not five, as you said they could have, was coaching cost them the games that they lost. Yeah, they were in close games. The good teams win the close games. UNLV was in a lot of them and they lost the majority of them. And again, I like to see them competing, but decision-making was a problem. Sometimes that's decision-making to the players, and sometimes that's the decision-making of the coaches. I'll leave it at that. Do I think I see an upside down the road for this team? Possibly. It is possible. And the reason Michigan stuck with Jim Harbaugh, I can give you about 12 million reasons why they stuck with him. The buyout would have been very expensive. And oh, trust me, do you think do you think money's an issue with Michigan? No, no, but listen to this. I will say this. No, money, yes, money's an issue with everyone to no, an agree. Not. But I will say, I will say this, okay, with with Michigan and where they went, okay. 
if Michigan would have lost to Ohio State after losing to Michigan State, and those turned out to be their only two losses of the season, because if they lost, they wouldn't have had another opportunity to play in the Big Ten. They would have played in the bowl game. But those would have been those would have potentially been enough to cost them his job. Michigan was at their wit's end because in Ann Arbor, as as in Las Vegas. One game can save your season, and that is the game against that team up north, as you well know. That's in Michigan, not true. two two games can save your career, and that's yeah. U of M and Ohio State. You win those two games, people that's can forgive true. a lot. Okay? That's not true. I, it I, is I, true. Oh, the Tony Tony beat Reno and got fired that year. Tony Sanchez beat Reno. Got he, he was actually had a winning was, he actually had more, a winning he had a winning record against Reno and still got fired. I understand. But but there was the, more that one game that. can't save a, a coach's grade. if the decision's been made. The decision's been made. I think you know if Harbaugh loses to Michigan State, Ohio State, yeah, but that then we're living in a hypothetical world. And then I could say if Tony you know, Sanchez he, might have lost State. his job before he did had he not beaten Reno. Yeah, well, well, I mean. He he actually he was fired before the Reno game. So but when you when you're talking about when you talk about like uh like like the hypotheticals if they would have lost, and I could flip that script and say if UNLV would have won, if UNLV would have won the games against every one possession game this season, then UNLV would have a seven win season. Aurora that's what I'm saying. But why, so, but why that's, don't they? that's that's hypothetical? And so so I'm not gonna play in the world of hypothetical. The season was what it was, and, and Michigan beat Ohio State. And if Michigan wins the Big Ten championship, they'll be in the in the college football playoff. So that's that's what's going to happen. And I know that it it's because Harbaugh was around, and I don't think Michigan even has a chance of winning this season if they had a new brand new head coach. And then all the seniors, the Hutchinsons, the 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 guys that are seniors on this roster that that on Michigan's roster that are in their last season and playing the best football of their career and probably going to be top five draft picks, all those guys get a wasted senior season because you fired your head coach and the guy that brought them in and the system that they were so successful in, you you throw that out the window and then because of that you have a probably losing season this year and you don't care about it. So that's that's what I mean by keeping coaches around. You you don't know what you're going to get until. You get that first recruiting class to the finish line, and those guys like Noel Williams and and Ricky Johnson for UNLV, who are basically freshmen in the beginning of their career, budding stars potentially. When they get to their senior year, then you look and say, "What is the product of Arroyo's work here?" And then you start to really make serious decisions and say, "Is this good enough? Can we do this again? Do we want to repeat this for another contract?" That's when you start making that decision, not when you lose a bunch of games in your first two years. That's Wins and losses are fine. I want people to care about winning and losing, but you have to, in the face of losing, understand this is where our program is. We're not there yet. We shouldn't be expecting a bowl game in our head coach's first season or second season at UNLV. And that's the reality of the program. You're at UNLV and you're building this thing up from very low on the totem pole. And that's just being honest about it. So when the wins aren't there, then you say, are we doing enough right to get there? Um, and I think right now Arroyo is doing enough right to get there in, in the recruiting. And if, I, I, I agree with the media handling and the way he's with the media. He's fine with me every time I speak with him. So I can I don't really have the same issue, but I understand where everybody else in the media is coming from. But that's not what you grade a head coach on. And I, if maybe you look back at it and say he could have handled it better. And that's fine. He's it's his first time as a head coach, but he'll he'll learn. Maybe he'll have better media relations when they're a seven-win team, and he'll be more than happy to invite people out to practice and to be in front of camera all the time. But I honestly don't have a problem with him not engaging with the media. That's that's his personal approach. Blocking people on Twitter is perfectly fine, just like everybody in the media has the right to drag his name through the mud or to talk bad about him. That's fine. His, he's in the business of football, 
And I think that's his approach from when I talk to him and when I speak and when I see him, he's completely into the business of football and he has to develop the taste like other coaches before him have for handling the media in a more uh, appeasing fashion, if you will. But I'm not going to grade him on that. That's I, I agree with you on that, but I'm not going to grade his performance on that. UNLV, the team that I've seen on the field this season, is a good football team or a good football team in the making, I'll say. They haven't won a lot of games, but like I said, they were competitive, more competitive throughout the entirety of the season than I've seen in the past 10 years. And yeah, they didn't win, but we all know the difference between winning and losing. It's a game of inches, and they're right there. So if they continue to build on this, if they retain players, nobody enters the transfer portal, if they add a few pieces maybe from junior college um, at a few different positions, I say they're going to compete in the Mountain West next year, especially considering how depleted the Mountain West is going to look with the attrition of other rosters. I think a lot of other people are losing more than they're going to be getting. And you guys like Carson Strong who are going to be gone. Um, Ronnie Rivers, Fresno State's going to take a big hit losing a bunch of seniors. You know, those type of things are going to happen where UNLV now starts to close the gap because their key guys are going to be back. Doug Brumfield's going to be back. He missed most of the season with injury, right? And he should be possibly the starting quarterback. He was gone most of the year. If Carson Strong's not at Reno for most of the year, does Reno have a shot? Absolutely not. So we understand that about Reno. Why can't we say the same thing about UNLV? They didn't have their starting quarterback for the majority of the season, and we're still within a touchdown in six of their losses. So what I say is what I see. I see that UNLV is doing the right things to become a good program. They're in the infant stages, and if they continue working at it and keep Arroyo around long enough, maybe we'll see a good finished product in, in three or four years. Fair enough. However... You use the word good several times. To a, to a team that's 2-10, and ten, I can't associate the word good. I can say improving. I can say looking better. I think good is, is a term good. There's nothing good about 2-10. Ten and, and ten. There's no such thing as moral victories. And again, I, I grade Marcus Arroyo the same way you do. As I said, I'm not grading him based on the way he handles the media. I think it's bad and immature, but I, it has nothing to do with his coaching ability. I watched a couple of games, the Utah State game being one of them, where I shook my head at some of the things I saw going on in the field, and it wasn't what the players were doing. It is the plays that were called and confusion amongst the players. That's I, what I saw standing on the sideline watching oh, the game. Oh, so, so You don't know the plays that were called. None of us know what the huddle calls were. I I can point to at least several player mistakes in the losses that they had, the close losses, San Jose State and Utah State. I can point to several player mistakes. Now, see, you go ahead and give me your your whole point. I wasn't done yet. That's fine. I'm just just saying there's, there's, I watched the games, and I'm telling you that there's not much of a difference between the two games that they won in New Mexico and Hawaii than the games Utah State, San Jose State. Let's just go those four. There wasn't much between the way the way the the way the games were called by the coach, beside and and next to the way the players executed on the field. It was pretty much the same calling, the pretty much the same schemes, the same play calling, the same coaches handling the situations. The only difference was the way the players executed in the second half, and that's that's what wins and loses games. Coaches put players in position to win. The players got to go out and do it, and that's more often than not, whether it's because of inexperience or just you know just the lack of availability of injured players they weren't able to execute on the field what they were asked to do by their coaches and that's that's why they lost a couple of close ones at home so that's that's just the way i look at it and you can call it being a homer or whatever you want to call it but that's just that's just the reality of what i well, watch right. you were hey, hey, the last quarterback to take the team i don't like, I don't like hearing that 
you have every right to be a homer, and you are, and that's okay, and I love you for it. But another thing, I was in the bathroom during one of the games and, and, and listening to one of the things you said, and at these, after they got done um, – I think it was Hawaii, maybe it was Fresno, but you got, you said, man, they're going to come out in the second half strong because they just played lights out defense. And I said, I came out and I said, I love it. But first of all, your color commentary is good. You're good at what you do. But it's funny when you said that, I came out and I said, the only thing, the only time you should ever use the word lights out for UNLV football right now, maybe not in the future, right now would be when they turn the lights out in the stadium. That's it. That's my opinion. But but that was, that was like I said, you were excited. I got they, it. They I am excited. A, they pitched a second half shutout against Hawaii, a team that averages 400 you were yards well, at total the end of the first half, you're saying lights out defense, and it wasn't Hawaii. It was the San Jose State game. But either way, they, they, they have played better. Caleb and I will agree with you. Jacoby Windham and I think Noel Williams both have a shot, depending on their development, especially Noel's got a lot of time, to play eventually on Sundays. I love their technique. I think Noel Williams is an absolutely, for his size, as physical as you could possibly be when you look at his physical build. He's a skinny guy, tall but skinny, but, man, he plays really physical and tough. And Windham, man, he's a project. He's He he has every bit of the skills, I think, if, if he can get taken in by a good defensive coordinator and coached up this is a guy that can play on sunday and maybe even eventually start on sundays that's how good i think he is so when you've got two nfl players on your defense you better be playing decent defense or find a way and this team hopefully because at one point in the season where they were the eighth worst passing defense in the country that's inexcusable now the key is let's see what 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 marcus Roy should marcus Roy be fired so, so you tell absolutely me, not so absolutely listen, not you tell me, you tell me, Noel Williams is a potential NFL player, right? You tell me that, yep. and then I, I will tell you this: How many games did Noel Williams miss this season? No, he and missed then, games. He, he missed got hurt games. for being so physical. He, 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 got, I agree. he got he got a targeting call that exited him out of Eastern Washington. Which, yep, if he's available game. in that game, they probably win it. I'm just going to say it plain and simple: the pass defense not only missed him for a lot of time, but also missed Philip Hill for a lot of time, the best safety on the roster. So you're you're talking about your two best defensive backs that were missing for most of the season. They weren't on the field together for a lot of the season. And then you look at their season ranking as far as against the pass. Well, any team without their two-star DBs missing in action, having to thrust out true freshmen in Ricky Johnson and Cameron Oliver in, in relief duty of that, of course the defensive secondary is going to suffer. So like when you look at the totality of the season, I can't say that the UNLV team that at their best this season – wouldn't have been a five six win team. I'm not gonna say that. I'm not gonna disagree. So, like I said, and I'm that's not- why I don't. I don't always look to wins and losses to find whether or not a team is good. Wins and losses say the team's a winning team, but a good football team can lose a lot of football games too. And I think what you saw with with Alabama, I guess, and let's just go way to the extreme. Alabama almost lost the game to to Auburn. Auburn beat um, Auburn has a, a losing record. They're not ranked this year for Auburn standards, right? If Bama loses to them, are we going to say Bama's not playing good? And if Nick Nick Saban is being honest with himself, is his team playing to their best capability? Are they playing like Alabama? Like, are they playing like they should be the number one team in the nation? No, they're not. So, but just, so just because they won all their games doesn't mean they're playing their best. And UNLV, just because they lost a lot of games, doesn't mean that they're not playing good. The so I, is, I can say them that they're good. Here's the thing. If that hadn't been the narrative for such a long time, I would tend to lean in your direction more. Unfortunately, it has been the narrative. And when you say a couple of their two best players are down, does that change things? Absolutely. I'm not disagreeing with you. But 
but that's football. That's sports. You you face that all the time. And again, had UNLV not had this issue for so long, and granted, Marcus Arroyo has been there for basically a season and and a piece of cake. So you can't judge him on that. But again. It's been the narrative of UNLV's defense for a long time since you were there. UNLV's defense has been a problem, and and it's it's a problem that needs to be solved. Is it on the way to being solved? Well, like I said, there's potentially two NFL players on the roster. Yeah, it's potentially on its way to being solved. So I'm, we'll I'm going to ask you this: is this is this the best you've seen UNLV defensively in the last decade? Yes. Yes. So, uh, so okay. No, I'm I'm not disagreeing. But like I said, it still amounts to wins and losses, no matter what. And we got to move on from the subject. I want to ask you real quickly one more question about this team. And yeah. please be frank about this question because I, they're kids, and I always think of that when I'm doing this. They're kids and they're people and everything else. But the bottom line is, especially this one's a local guy, Tate Martell. He is the most storied player coming out of high school his senior year. The blue chip athlete, everyone wants him. Gets a full ride to the Ohio State University. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, they are quarterback heavy. It doesn't work out for him there. And he goes to Miami, another story program, although they're not really where they, you, you know, they're in their rebuilding stages as well as far as rebuilding their program and their history. But he gets to go there. It doesn't work out there. He gets hurt and he comes here. Yes, he's got a thumb injury. Yes, he has surgery. Yes, it's a brand new playbook, although I can't believe UNLB's playbook is any more intricate than Ohio State's or Miami's, so I don't know how it would take you that much longer to learn it. But the bottom line is, Caleb, is this guy hurt, or is he just not that good? Because Justin Rogers, granted he played good at the end of the season in the game. I, you know, I saw I want good. He played adequately enough to be an, a, a college quarterback. But after the way we saw him play earlier, I was amazed that when you got past Brumfield and you got past Cameron Friel, that it was Justin Rogers again and not Tate Martell. What's wrong with this kid? I, I guess I have to put it this way. Um, in an analogous situation, Johnny Manziel had one of the most storied careers at Texas A&M, um, and he got drafted highly because of it. He was regarded as probably one of the better college quarterbacks of all time. And that's just maybe subjective opinion, but he got to the NFL and vanished. Um, and he's no longer a viable quarterback right now. Um, that's the way his story was written. Sometimes when you have success at one level, it does not necessarily translate to the next. And I think in the case of Tate Martell, the story of his high school career may have put him in a position in college that he was trying to live up to expectations that were unrealistic for his actual skill set and what he actually brought to the table. And that's not a knock on him. It's just the reality of the situation. It doesn't always pan out. Um, Sounds sometimes to me, Spencer, like he's saying he's bad. What I'm saying, what I'm saying in, yeah, in a really, in a way that people can maybe relate to, you can have success at one level and then not, translate over to the next what made you good and made you great hey at caleb one level before i forget this i gotta i gotta ask you something about martell and i heard this and maybe you can we'll move on i want to really quickly talk about you and i'll be basketball too and get to the raiders but with i heard that tate martell threw the ball from like three quarters of uh, instead of over the top in high school and he was very successful i heard when he got to ohio state they changed his throwing motion. They were trying to get him to be an over-the-top quarterback, and he's never been the same player. Have you heard that? And is that something that you could see be a possibility? And if it is, then why the hell wouldn't you go back to just throwing it the way you wanted to throw it because it's not working the other way? Uh, well, I'll say this. I, he did throw the ball better in high school than he throws it now, from what I've seen. 
his high school ball, like the balls he threw in high school were better as far as the tight spiral, the, the distance he got on it, and just looked more comfortable and natural for him throwing the ball than it does now. I don't know whether or not that story is true. It, it could just have something to do with injuries or uh, a natural change. Maybe he bulked up a little bit too much because he's kind of a stocky guy. I mean, he's he's been in the weight room, clearly. You could see it. Um, so maybe that has to do with why his throw motion changed a little bit. Um, but I, I don't know if there's any truth there. So I don't know Tate personally. I only know what I observe as far as him playing football. So I don't I, I haven't heard that. So um, but that would have a lot to do with uh, why you're throwing and look at in a positive way. Lonzo Ball, it just, if you imagine that shooter shot like Lonzo Ball shot was broken when he came into the NBA. It worked for him in college and in high school. He could make a shot. But when they started trying to restructure it, he struggled a lot with his shot. Um, so it takes a lot of discipline to stick to it and get the mechanics right before you can actually start to play. And maybe that's why at this level, you, it's it's harder to be successful if you're in the process of changing your shot, so to speak. I know you think about the first two years for Alonzo Ball, people were kind of saying he was a bust. And then now look at him, he's got one of the highest three-point field goal percentage in the NBA. It's the same kind of thing. It, it sucks to play while you're trying to figure out your shot or your throwing motion, so to speak, and you haven't quite perfected a new one yet. So. And that could be true. I wouldn't be surprised if that was true, but um, I could say for sure he definitely threw a better ball in high school than he's throwing now. Well, hey, look into it. It might be some stuff to talk about. Who is the guy? Last question on UNLV football. We'll jump over to basketball. Who's the guy under center next year? All their players, all their three top starters are coming back. They're all young guys. Brumfield, to me, looked like the best quarterback out there when he was healthy early on. Cameron Friel then came in and played really good. And one thing Cameron Friel taught us is he is one tough guy out there, man. I mean, he was beaten and bruised, and he kept showing up under center when he could, you know, and then you've got Justin Rogers who finally at the end of the season started looking like a D one quarterback. What do you do next year? I know there's going to be heated competition. I don't know if uh, Marcus Royal is anyone else coming in, but to me, Doug Brumfield's got to be at least the guy out of the gate. What do you think? Ideal situation. I think Doug's the guy. And I think that's the case for the next three years or his, however long he's here. Um, I think that would be ideal. I think it's definitely going to be a competition. I think the fact that Doug missed so much time this year, um, Cameron Frill was able to close that gap. I think week three, maybe you're saying, yeah, for sure, it's Doug's. He's going to be the starter if the roster stays the same next year. Doug's the starter. But I think Cameron Frill at least closed the gap and put his name in the hat, as well as Justin Rogers with the last two games he put together. Um, not very successful in Air Force, but he put together some good performances when he did come in in relief to finish the season off. Um, but I would not be surprised if there's another quarterback in the mix, whether it's uh, one of the freshmen that are on the roster now or, you know, getting thrown his name in the mix or, or guys like that getting into the competition. Or if there's a junior college transfer, uh, somebody who's an upperclassman, maybe with one or two years left of eligibility, who comes in and is ready made, ready to go. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the objective of the offseason. But for sure, it's going to be a quarterback uh, competition. And another year of it, it sounds ridiculous and we hate to have to wonder. But uh, I think that's, you know, he hasn't defined a quarterback yet. And that's, that's kind of tough to go into a season without knowing who your quarterback is, who the guy is. But I think you, you wonder uh, if the competition is going to be successful or not. Um, I, I do want worry, though, with the kind of logjam at the position. You've got Doug Brumfield and Cameron Frill right behind each other. Um, I do wonder if there is a competition and you do bring in somebody, say, from a JUCO, if that maybe makes the transfer portal transfer portal look more enticing to one of those younger guys and, and especially Doug Brumfield I think has a chance to, he had a chance coming out of high school to be at a power five school 
does that entice him because he maybe doesn't feel he should be competing for a starting job here does that entice him to enter the transfer porter and try to look somewhere else so you got to worry about that as a coach and it's not just recruiting the best players it's keeping who you got and who you think can go in the locker room as well because as we know at UNLV the starting guy of the season may very well not finish the season so you want to have at least a, a couple of viable backups as well so keeping those guys who are currently here engaged and involved is just as big as going out and finding new talent in my opinion I agree. I, I think it's Brumfield. Uh, there's that kid, Matthew Geating, who's a huge kid, 6'5", 215 out of Chino Hills, who was a registered freshman this year. And uh, I've heard some decent things about him, although we haven't seen him play at all. Uh, real quickly, as we fly through this UNLV basketball, Caleb, I don't know how much you've been watching it, but uh, wow. You know, first-year head coaches, Kevin, Kevin Kruger is raising the bar. Granted, they're 4-3 right now. Their most quality win came over a bad Cal team, but they damn well nearly beat Wichita State. And for a while, they played with with Michigan and for a while um, on Friday or excuse me yesterday they played with UCLA I love what coach uh, what coach Krieger is coach Kruger's done he's brought in some talent to make this team compete right away and to try to get um, some interest restored into UNLV basketball and I think he's done that I don't know if you've gotten to see any of the games but I was at the Michigan game and the Wichita State game and I really really liked what I saw this team has five or six guys that I think could play anywhere in the country i really do yeah i I'd agree with that i think they play i think what stands out to be the most is the way they play hard and i haven't been able to watch much because football obviously there's been a lot of overlap with the schedule um but they play hard and i think coach kruger's done a good job of coming in and really defining um the team on that and that's really a tough thing to do when you come in with a bunch of new guys to the program like you said a bunch of guys transferred in um, and, and are immediately on the court and making an impact, as well as getting guys who maybe could have gone into the draft or thought about going to the draft and coming back to get those guys to play together and play hard together. Um, that's, that's the impact of coaching, I think. And Coach Kruger's done a great job of that, of defining the culture. The guys are going to play hard. I think he benched the, the whole starting five in the blowout win uh, against uh, the D3 school. I think he benched the whole starting five because they weren't playing hard enough. Right, and the game was closed in the first in the opening minutes of the game. So he benched them and put the second unit in, and and you know sent that message that hey, if you ain't playing hard, it ain't cutting it. We're not going to do that here. So those kind of things that Coach Kruger's done, I like, and that's what you come do and define the culture of a team. It's almost reminiscent as far as the athleticism of the running rebels of old, right? Where they play hard, they play good defense, they get out and run. They're athletic, um, they're long on the on the perimeter. So. Um, reminiscent of those days. Now they need to find some shooting, and you saw that against UCLA where they just weren't able to knock down shots, whether it was uh, pull-up drives or spot-up shots that were contested. They just weren't hitting shots against a good UCLA team. So that's something that they're going to have to address, whether improvements on the roster that are available or going out and recruiting more for seasons to come. But shooting is going to be an issue. Um, but I, I do like it. I like the energy that Coach Kruger brings and the excitement, I guess, of his name and the tie to UNOV history obviously, but then the kind of new spin on that history is, I think, what Kevin Kruger brings, and um, definitely some interest around. The fans have not yet turned out and packed the Mac yet um, this season, so not all the way back to the days of old for UNLV basketball, but I think they're, again, taking the right steps in the right direction and, and playing a good brand of basketball that people will probably enjoy watching once they do get in those seats. 
He is Caleb Herring, former co-host here on Out of Line. He is the color commentator on ESPN, the leader for UNLV Rebels football games, which uh, the season ended on Friday night with a loss to Air Force. And Caleb, the names to look for this year that I think Bryce Hamilton, obviously great that he came back. He did try to enter the uh, check, you know, put his name in the hat for the NBA, realized it was more advantageous for him to come back for a senior season. He did. And he is definitely the cog that makes this machine run. This kid, Jordan McCabe, YouTube sensation in high school, transfer from West Virginia, got to play for Huggy Bear over there. And uh, the announcers were calling him uh, Pistol Pete Maravich during the game. Granted, that's a little over over the top, but he made some unbelievable passes, especially in that Wichita State game. The sky's the limit for this kid. I love him. Royce, Ham's, uh, Royce Ham Jr., a senior transfer from Texas, along with Donovan Williams, um, also came from Texas. Those two guys are exciting and bring a really um, upscale and upbeat brand of basketball to UNLV. And I love this freshman, the 6'4 guard from St. Louis, Keyshawn Gilbert. He can play defense. He can sky. He can get up. He's going to be exciting the player to watch as he grows here as well and uh, the bottom line is kevin krueger doing a great job caleb herring we appreciate you brother we'll talk to you real soon my friend all right man sorry for your loss too the detroit lions got their butts kicked in on thanksgiving i'm, I'm sure your turkey was a little drier after watching that but happy Bye, thanksgiving Caleb. happy holidays if you don't like the facts take your ass back to bed fact this with basically one week to go in the college pre-bowl pre season, there's only one team guaranteed to make the four-team FBS playoff, and that's the Georgia Bulldogs. Win or lose, they'll get in next week. This, once again, is proof that four teams simply is not fair and is not enough. Once again, there are at least eight teams that deserve a shot. It took everything for Cincinnati to get the shot. I think they will if they beat Houston in their conference championship game next week. Um, of course, one of the few ranked teams they've played, but they gave Notre Dame their only loss. But again, you need eight teams in. Great win for Michigan. Michigan had not done that eight seasons, uh, an eight-season drought. They beat Ohio State 42-27, to 27, and they got to play Iowa. They win that game. They will be in the playoffs. And Alabama, as you heard Caleb talk about, 24-22, to 22, quadruple overtime. It's wild. When they get the triple overtime in college now, they have to go for two-point conversions. One two-point conversion, another two-point conversion. It's pretty wild. Alabama pulls it out 24-22. to 22. They were down to 10-0 midway through the fourth quarter. They've never been shut out through three quarters in, in Nick Saban's regime, and it's been since like 2004 since they did that. They got shut out in the first half. In the, in the Iron Bowl against Auburn. But Alabama wins, although they're going to have a tough task. I don't think they beat Georgia, and I don't think Alabama goes to the college football playoffs. Enough said. Raiders, big win after losing two straight in Dallas on Thanksgiving. And, of course, as Caleb mentioned, the Detroit Lions remained winless, as I thought they would. 0-10-1 right now.